everybody, and thanks for joining us. This is On the Curve, a mental health podcast focused on positivity. And our motto is a quote from Alice in Wonderland by the Mad Hatter. Uh, anyone who tuned into our first episode knows that, uh, well, anyone who knows me um, probably is certain uh, that I'm a Disney fan. And Alice in Wonderland was one of my favorite Disney movies growing up. Um, so uh, that's, you know, a little bit of the background there that I may or may not have shared in our first podcast about why um, I chose our motto. Um, but yes, um, anyway, uh, so the, the motto uh, for our group or our podcast is by the Mad Hatter. Um, I just wanted, again, to uh, briefly explain why I chose um, this particular motto. Um, and that is because I want um, to create a safe community and offer um, a place for a conversation to happen about mental illness. And I want it, um, you know, to be positivity based. I feel like that's very important. And so um, I think taking back words sometimes can be very important to those communities. I've seen um, how that can benefit them. And so um, by using a Mad Hatter quote, um, what I hope to do then is to take back the word mad or crazy, um, as some people may, um, you know, associate with it. So uh, by saying, you know, we're all mad here, it's, um, it's a way to show that, you know, we're taking back that stigma and we're working towards being a more positive community. Well, I had a really long weekend. I um, just wanted to share with you all some, I guess it's not positive or negative. It's a little bit of both. Um, so I had an opportunity to travel to St. Cloud this weekend to attend MN Polycon. Uh, I had heard of it. I have a friend uh, that he attends several different poly conventions uh, throughout the United States. And uh, he mentioned he went to MN Polycon last year. That was their first ever year. And he had a very positive experience. And I wanted to open myself up to, you know, new opportunities to network, um, to educate myself, and even on a more personal level to socialize. And, um, uh, by going into it with that mindset um, that I'm open to new experiences, I felt like it really helped me to relax and enjoy the trip. Um, but I will admit I had some expectations. Um, one thing that I was really looking forward to was one of the subjects for their breakout sessions. Uh, so before I get a little bit too far, I, I just uh, realized um, I may or may not have come out to you, some of you as polyamorous. I have shared things in this group. I um, lead a local um, polyamorous um, education 
group. Uh, it's open invitation. I just want to plug that real quick. Um, it's called Poly Aware. And Poly Aware meets on the fourth Sunday at the Pride Collective Community Center here in Fargo. Um, our meetings are from 1 to usually around 2.30 or 3 p.m. Um, we leave plenty of time for socializing and discussion afterwards, so it depends on that. Uh, but 1 to 3 p.m. is uh, the usual scheduled time. There's no fees or no cost uh, to attend these um, meetings for PolyAware. And it's open to the community. So you can bring your loved ones, your potential partners, your best friends, your family, your acquaintances. You can bring anyone who's interested. We've had people from um, various community organizations come and gain access to information and to meet people that use these labels. Um, so kind of going back to that, um, polyamorous means that um, that you have an interest in pursuing or a desire to have multiple, that's where poly comes from is the Greek word, um, or prefix poly um, for many, and then amory meaning love in Latin. So many loves, many, uh, potentially many um, intimate relationships. And it's related to um, also what is referred to as consensual ethical non-monogamy. So you may see some of the articles I share um, or some of the scientific research refer to it as E-N-M, which stands for ethical non-monogamy. Wanted to plug that too because there's not a lot of research done about polyamory. Um, it's kind of a new um, thing. It's becoming more prominent in our society, but it's not really that new. I have done some research on other cultures and I actually um, missed a breakout session this weekend that talked about some of the history, uh, which I wish I would have had more of an opportunity to attend. And I'm hoping that next year and going forward, there'll be some more uh, opportunities to attend those sessions, maybe see if people are willing to uh, present multiple times, things like that, or have more of a, a break in between the uh, groups of sessions. Um, but uh, Morning Glory is the one who uh, coined the phrase uh, polyamorous, and that was in the early 90s, so it's actually pretty new, uh, but um, people are coming out now uh, more openly as polyamorous, there are more organizations that support individuals that have consensual, ethical, non-monogamous relationships, um, and I got to go to my first convention for one this weekend, and uh, one of the topics that they were going to talk about was mental health. And I was so giddy and so excited because 
it's something I really love hearing about. I love learning about mental health and I love talking about it. I wouldn't have this podcast. I, you know, if I didn't find so much joy in um, sharing these experiences and talking about them. And I found out after I got to the cities that the speaker that was going to be presenting actually canceled uh, the one that was supposed to speak about mental health. And this is someone with a doctorate degree, um, a master's doctorate. So it's like, wow, um, I don't know what to say. And I collected myself. I had some disappointment and I was going through some all those emotions and I uh, I talked to my friend that was um, part of the organization for the group, the one that suggested um, this con. I said, hey, I could present. I have a PowerPoint on my uh, Google Drive. Here, let me show you. And uh, <laughs> I didn't try to get my hopes up that I would have an opportunity to present. Uh, I did share that with you all in my uh, Facebook group here. Um, but uh, the opportunity didn't work out for me. Um, I have some negative feelings about that uh, just because I think it's very important that we talk about mental health. Um, it's something that greatly impacts individuals that are part of minorities or that live lifestyles or have orientations perhaps are, that are not socially accepted or norms. So that's why I think it's so important to talk about it. Um, and I want to share with you all some parts of my identity. Um, and so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm real excited. Um, so, oh, I think it's going to be better if I just break it down one piece at a time instead of overly explaining everything. Um, so, um, as you know now, I identify as polyamorous. Um, to some, that might come as a surprise. And to some, they've known me since I've been openly identifying. Um, it's just part of who I am. Um, I also identify as non-binary, uh, which sometimes is using, used to label gender fluid. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that first. Uh, so... Um, being uh, gender fluid um, or non-binary, um, it, it's an, a label that is used um, to describe um, what is known as transgender. Um, so I'd like to explain that a, a little bit deeper and offer you a uh, 101 uh, on what gender is and um, what exactly non-binary means because I feel like that's important to understand a little bit more about my label. Um, and the presentation I was going to give um, at MN Polycon was going to be about that topic, about identifying as non-binary and how mental illness is prominent in the LGBTQA plus community and 
bringing awareness to how to support people uh, that have those identities and how to bring love and compassion um, to that. Um, I'm going to avoid giving my full presentation here on my podcast at this time to save me some spoons, as they call it. Um, identify as a spoonie. That's another label I use. Uh, it's a way of identifying that I have uh, a diagnosis of mental illness. And um, yeah, I, I want to save myself some spoons because I'm actually going to be doing a recording. I'm so excited. Um, so I'm co-host of a local radio show. It's on a nonprofit radio station, 88.1 KPPPLPFM. And uh, the show is called Technical Difficulties, and it is hosted by my friend Tim Abbott. And um, I have recorded about two episodes with him previously, and then we went on a bit of a hiatus. And I have an opportunity to actually give my speech now on the air uh, for uh, the subject. Um, Oh, and the show airs on Fridays and Saturdays from noon to 1 p.m. In case anyone's interested in uh, tuning in and listening to our our program, it, um, the show's uh, it's a lot of information about uh, disability advocacy, person first language, um, cross sectional identities. Um, the nonprofit radio station itself. I just want to plug them a little bit here. Uh, they promote diversity and acceptance among minorities and serve as an opportunity to hear those voices and those stories. And I'm so excited that I am part of that and I have an opportunity to be part of that. So I want to thank Cindy and Duke over at KPPP LP FM for what they do and you know, everyone else that's involved that makes that possible. I think it's amazing. Um, but I am going to give you a little brief uh, 101 here about um, gender because I, I feel that that's important to understand what non-binary means. Um, so when you think about a person's identity, um, there are many intricacies to that. Um Sam Killerman has a website called it's pronounced metrosexual.com. And um, that um, has um, a diagram called the gingerbread person. Um, and on this diagram, it separates the different aspects of who we are, uh, including a gender identity. Um, so uh, how, you think about yourself. Um, it says here that it's the chemistry composing you. Um, and there's gender um, expression, uh, which it says here um, how you demonstrate your gender based on traditional um, gender roles. And then uh, you have biological sex, which refers to um, the measurable organs, hormones, and chromosomal chromosomes. Um, for example, uh, female uh, biological organs are 
um, the vagina, ovaries, um, and then you have um, chromosomes XX. Male is a penis, testes, the chromosome XY. And then there's also an intersex, which is a combination of the two. Uh, another aspect of a person's identity is sexual orientation. Uh, so if a person identifies as heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, uh, kind of like uh, sexual orientation, I refer a lot as the Kinsey scale, just because um, there's, in my opinion, such a wide range of identity when it comes to sexuality. Uh, but today we're going to talk a little bit more about gender identity um, and a briefly about gender expression. Uh, so as I mentioned, biological sex are the organs um, that are physical. Um, it's referred to as um, assigned at birth. So um, you know, when you're born, they make a determination and they write it down and that's, that's all that is. Um, so however, the genital and the sexual organs appear um, and then we have um, some individuals, again, that maybe have ambiguous um, genitalia or um, organs that may not um, necessarily be categorized as um, only being, you know, as male or female. And so um, intersex is also important to recognize when it comes to biology. Um, but... Um, you know, gender expression, as we mentioned, um, that actually, or, um, yeah, gender expression is mostly, is actually about masculinity and femininity, um, for example, and some people are ambiguous when it comes to how they express their um, gender, um, so it's based on societal norms, and there's a lot of people that I, I have seen in the media that challenge that. Um, one of the examples I like to use, it's like Boy George. Um, Boy George was um, very colorful and bright. Um, they um, wore makeup and their style reflected more of what society would categorize as a feminine um, style. Um, and then when it comes to gender identity, um, so that um, specifically um, is labeled as man, woman, or gender queer. Um, so um, it's um, social constructed roles and behaviors. Um, and if a person kind of moves between the two um, or has some uh, fluctuation, um, they may be considered uh, to have um, a non-binary uh, presenting of gender identity. Uh, so that's kind of how I came to use that label myself is because I don't necessarily consider myself to present as male or female. Um, I have been told when I tell people this, I've been reassured, oh, you would have a feminine style. Um, I'm not going to deny that. I own that. You know, I, I really do enjoy 
being feminine. I'm, I'm wearing pink nail polish on my toes right now, actually. Um, not that nail polish should only be, um, you know, gendered as something that is a social norm for women, but society generally has um, done so. And pink is a color that I feel that both um, men and women, as well as anyone in the spectrum of gender identity um, can associate with, of course, but it is stereotyped as something of those that identify as female. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about that. Um, I really hope that you all get an opportunity to uh, tune in to 88.1 FM. That's KPPPLP. Um, and I uh, hope that you all are able to listen to our episodes about uh, disability advocacy and the various uh, topics that Tim and I discuss on technical difficulties. Um, again, I will be sharing my presentation on there that I gave um, at Tri-State Transgender this last spring and um yeah it'll be it'll be a great opportunity i think to talk about um these really important subjects and how they affect how one's um identity affects their mental health um i have um some very uh, great resources that i've gathered um, to talk about these types of things. Um, I will be sharing um, Riley J. Dennis, uh, her YouTube video on what being non-binary is. I'll share that in the On the Curve group. Um, she gives a great um, summary also of some of the topics that I'm going to be um, speaking about her and I actually shared a lot of the resources um, that I used for uh, the presentation that I wrote for Tri-State Transgender about um, gender and um, mental health and uh, yeah she's just such an amazing trans advocate um, you know, she was uh, the Target Trailblazer, um, you know, grant presenter. Um, you know, she's just an amazing person. And I'm really happy that people exist that are passionate about these things and that want to share um, those stories. Um, you know, just kind of going off on that you know it's so important to talk about things and to share but not everyone's ready to share not everyone's uh, role or purpose is to share their story uh, I do want to say that sometimes sharing can actually be detrimental to one's mental health um, it can cause um, PTSD symptoms to become prominent and um, increase symptoms of anxiety and depression. So I just want to plug here, uh, if any of you or if you know anyone who's having um, a difficult time, there are many resources out there that can help. Um, 
locally here in Fargo, I also want to plug the community uplift program. So um, I heard recently actually um, they have moved and are now located within um, the Red River Women's Clinic. And this um, organization helps um, individuals uh, who identify as um, LGBTQA+, uh, and uh, they do a lot to help individuals also who identify as trans or transgendered. And um, there, it's just such a, a great opportunity to, to gain resources um, that can enrich your life and to benefit your mental and emotional health. Um, so their number is 701-639-3094. I also want to uh, plug here um, that there are hotlines available um, to talk to someone if you are struggling with your mental health. Um, S-A-M-H-S-A. They have a national helpline um, as well as, of course, um, the suicide hotline and um, if you're you know you or a loved one is expressing suicidal thoughts uh, I urge you to consider sharing that information uh, there's research that shows that talking about suicide and sharing that information does not increase generally uh, the statistical uh, data does not shows that it does not increase um, attempts. So um, I urge you to, to share that information. Uh, the SAM HSA's National Helpline is 1-800-662-HELP. And uh, the National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-SUICIDE. So um, it's also 1-800-273-TALK. Um, if you Google uh, the suicide hotline, there's also a place you can chat online with someone. Or I've also heard there's a number you can text. So if you're not the kind of person who likes to use the phone, or if it makes you uncomfortable by talking on the phone with someone, there are other ways to reach out and to get help. Um, so for this next part of the episode, I thought it'd be really cool to talk to someone who... Um, can offer a more objective opinion about my experiences. Um, and I decided that, um, I'm still a little nervous about this, um, I decided to invite my mother, Patricia, to come talk on the show. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And um, I... Thank you again for tuning in, and hopefully we can engage in some positivity-focused conversations about mental health um, and these various topics and share our stories because I feel like it's important to know that you're not alone. Because there's not a lot of research about how polyamory affects mental health, I've decided to offer the opportunity to interview someone who I'm very close to. Uh, and this person has seen um, a dramatic impact to my life 
um, and my mental health based upon the polyamorous relationships that I've been in. And I would like to introduce my mother, Patricia. She um, has known about my polyamorous identity for about three years now and has been very open and welcoming uh, to that, which has been a great support. Uh, as we discussed uh, previously uh, in regards to transgendered individuals or um, people who identify under the transgender umbrella, being accepted by family and having support is very important and dramatically decreases uh, the prevalence of suicide and suicidal uh, attempts. Uh, so I'd like to introduce my mother, Patricia Falk, to the show. Hello. Um, so, Mom, um, I hope I am depicting your uh, reaction to uh, when I came out as polyamorous, um, as realistic as I can. Um, what type of concerns um, did you have when I first mentioned to you that Eric and I would um, begin to start to see other partners? I think the most basic one is the fear of rejection. Not only you were trying to accept who you were and exploring that, but it, you couldn't go around and keep a secret about it. It's just expressing who you were and just revealing a part of who you are. Yeah, that's very true. Um, unfortunately, I like to use the metaphor of Narnia's closet when I talk about um, my identities and coming out um, because it's almost like a never ending um, journey through a fantasy world. I remember when I first came out to you as um, bisexual when I was 16 years old, when I had explored that part of my identity. And then later on, I came out to you as pagan and um, I remember there being some tension and some confusion about um, how these labels perhaps would change your perception of, of me as a person. But um, even when I discussed with you recently about uh, identifying as non-binary, that's the newest closet I've come out of um, and shared with you this part of my identity, I explained to you, I said, well, it's, I'm still me. I've always been this way. I'm just learning how to identify with those labels. And you seemed very welcoming to that. It felt that you understood that this is something that's very important to me. Um, do you feel that that may have um, been the same reaction when um, I shared with you about identifying as polyamorous or uh, was there any um, point in which you had um, apprehension of supporting me uh, with that identity? I would say first of all that labels can be so restrictive mm -hmm. because every term means something a little bit different with each person and their unique personalities and ways of expressing just who they are. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important that someone is able to express the genuine side of them more than 
what you think somebody else wants to hear or wants to see you actually act out and be. I felt just very honored to think that you would share something like that with me. That is a very personal thing. And I imagine you were a little scared to see what my reaction was going to be. But honestly, it just revealed something you told me that I already was aware of. It doesn't mean that you're insensitive, that it's negative. It's just a self-expression of just who you are. Yeah. Uh, some people actually believe that uh, polyamory is something that um, you're you're born with. I'm very similar to how some people believe um, that homosexuality and identifying under the LGBTQA plus umbrella, um, how that's something that you're just born that way, you know, to quote Lady Gaga there. Um, and um, I'm actually one of the people that um, sides with that. I believe that um, this is something that is very natural for me. It's not forced. It's something that I've um, struggled with. You know, I explained um, a little bit about my experience earlier, you know, um, in my uh, speech after the shift and about how it just, it freed me from some of those negative emotions and some of that pain that I was feeling. Um, but I was really scared about, would you understand, would you accept me? Um, I also thought, well, if grandma was here, would she understand, would she openly accept me? Um, if I came out to my friends, would they understand? You know, Eric and I already began discussion about this long before all that. He knew that this is something that I've considered. Um, and, you know, something I, I didn't share earlier that I think is important to mention um, in this context is when I heard Andreas's speech, Shit Happens, I had a moment of enlightenment and I realized that this is an intricate part of my identity, being polyamorous. And I had to be confident enough in that, that I was okay if that wasn't something that Eric wanted. Exactly. And it, that scared me. It would be scary, but the thing is that in order for you to find peace and to actually be happy from the inside out, that quality of what you demand out of life, you have to be able to express that and be ready if the negative hits, like, okay, that's their opinion. Yeah. You're not looking for their approval. It's only an opinion. Exactly. That's that's really positive to, to look at it that way where you're um, mostly concerned about... Um, I guess the way I understand it is it's more focusing about um, having the quality, you know, of those exactly. friendships, and those relationships. Um, and I would never uh, like consider the option of abandoning my family, even if they disowned me or if um, there was conflict because I, believed in something that they didn't agree with. I don't think that was ever an option in my mind, 
but I worried a lot about how being open and honest with you would affect our relationship as mother and daughter. And um, one of the things that occurred to me was, well, if I want to have open and honest relationships, perhaps, and this isn't for every person who identifies as poly, but perhaps it may be beneficial for those people to meet my family and to be part of our celebrations. Um, in, in the beginning, it felt kind of awkward introducing partners over. Um, there's only been a couple partners that you've actually met of mine. Um, and most of them um, took the, uh, um, it very serious. It felt like they were very respectful in um, the way that they interacted with family. Uh, some of them, in my opinion, were a better fit in um, that dynamic of spending time with my family and I. But just because I feel like a partner is a better fit um, or perhaps meshes well with my family um, doesn't mean that the ones that perhaps didn't um, aren't good partners. Um, but I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to you about um, how this has impacted my mental health um, because unfortunately you've been made aware and have witnessed um, both the positive and the negative um, when it comes to that. So uh, in order to have more of an objective opinion on that, uh, I was wondering if you would be comfortable to share some of your opinions on um, the partners I've had and, um, you know, just um, overall how that um, affected my, my moods, um, the, the healing process of, you know, um, like, for example, I mentioned in the last episode that um, you had been diagnosed with cancer, you know, back in, the, I think it was August was the initial diagnosis. Is that correct? Yes. And um, some of my partners took extra steps to be supportive. Um, what, what would you have to share about that process and how that affected my mental health? Well, there was a few instances that you would have one of your partners come along with you for emotional support. Mm -hmm. That was really what should happen, just being friends. Mm -hmm. And then the demands that it puts on each one of you would tell how much more of a friend that you had with your relationship in a time of stress. Yeah, it really tests the water. It does. And... Um, Chronic illness is not something that you can just prepare for. Uh, you hope that it never happens. Basically, yeah, that's the most objective way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to make the most of your strengths. It takes extra maintenance. Yeah. Just like being polyamorous takes a lot of maintenance from both parties. Yep. And it's not an illness. Don't get me wrong there. I didn't mean to mix that. No. But, um... You have to be open and honest and what I call thorough in order to be able to grow in that relationship. Okay. And I saw some of them, especially there was one in particular that was a little recent since you broke up. 
Okay, so that's the one that I started dating in December, yeah. right? Okay, yep. They uh, reached a certain point, and then they just plateaued off. That was it. Okay. And started going backwards and putting more demands on you that it was a very lopsided relationship. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. The relationship was very one-sided. Um, my motive of um, being with that partner, not to say that I have agendas when it comes to my relationships, but it was more focused on me feeling obligated to do things for that person. And um, I saw the aftermath that it took time away from family and quality time when I felt like you really needed me and Jimmy really needed me you know, to be there. And um, I feel some shame that I wasn't more aware of that. Being aware is a growing process. So here you go again. You're your own worst critic Yeah. in a lot of situations. The thing is, though, that being aware of something and how it impacts people is a gradual process. Mm -hmm. And it takes being able to step back and take a look. Okay, if you're so involved with what's going on and the drama and the stress is just wearing you out physically and emotionally, it's very hard to take a step back or take a look. Yeah. But when it does happen, you can't go and beat yourself up over your mistakes. Yeah, I, I try not to think that way. I will be honest. Uh, I'm the type of person that thinks very pessimistically. Oh. So um, I try to treat myself with love and uh, someone actually today mentioned at um, the conference about mental health and she had said you know you wouldn't talk that way to your best friend you wouldn't treat someone that you love that way why would you treat yourself that way that's true put it into perspective for me it's like yeah I I shouldn't be um, so hard on myself because I'm going to make mistakes you know as you mentioned like it's a learning curve um, and every relationship is different, as you mentioned. Like, every situation is different. Um, I, I feel like looking back on that relationship, I treated it like a cookie mold. You know, like, I expected that to be something that I... Well, yeah, I expected it, you know? Like, I put um, obligations on that person as well. And they were not able to step up and um, to do that. And I just want to, you know, clarify, you mentioned earlier about how they kind of retracted and put more weight on me to be accountable. Um, is that what you were referring to was that their mental health was slipping? Exactly. Okay. That's how I understood uh, what you, what you shared. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting because um, one of the challenges of being polyamorous for me is the uniqueness of each relationship. I mean, having one relationship for some people can be so challenging. And for me, in my life, um, building that relationship with Eric, that took a lot of time and dedication. And we had a lot of ups and downs and maintenance um, to imagine going through that four and five times. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it compounds that. And 
the last uh, question I had for you was, um, you've seen and heard some of the challenges I've had in these relationships. Um, if we use the most recent one, uh, for example, the one we were just speaking about how that person struggled a lot with mental health and put a lot of pressure on me to feel obligated um, to go out of my way and provide for them in ways that they should have taken accountability for. Um, we're in consensus that affected my mental health and um, negatively impacted many facets of my well-being. Um, do you have anything to contribute when it, it comes to uh, how that may have affected other relationships I was in? Did you um, have any opportunity to hear or see any interactions with my other partners while I was going through that uh, time? Well, the main thing was it caused a vacuum with every other relationship that you had. It put demands on you to the degree that there was not enough room for any other concerns for yourself or for anyone else that you cared for. Yeah. True. Um, black and white um, diagnosis, cause and effect. Yeah, it was his mental illness going out of control. Right. But if he didn't want to help himself, then that's when everything had to end. But you yourself had to be the one who decided when that happened and how it happened. You know, this actually makes me think back to a conversation you and I had. I was smoking in my car, like I did when I was really stressed out. It was in the wee hours of the morning, like 7 o'clock in the morning. And I was texting you, and I was like, I haven't been to bed yet. I'm freaking out about this. I, I need to get your opinion on this, because you and I had a lot of um, conversations during that time of me trying to rationalize my feelings. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember calling you and crying and saying, Mom, I'm in an abusive relationship. Um, it just, it meant so much to me to have you there that I could be honest with you about something that I, to this day, I'm still dealing with feelings of shame. You know, I, I think um, many victims of violence, um, be it emotional violence, sexual violence, physical violence, it it, it all impacts um, your perception of the situation. And it's good to have someone to bounce those things off of. I mean, it's a good stress reliever and it's good to get an objective opinion. Um, was it's, there? It's very helpful to be able to say it out loud instead of having it going around in your head, just bouncing. Yeah. It's very important. Was there um, any point in time, like, for example, in the conversation I'm mentioning about how I was confiding in you that I felt like I was being emotionally abused? Um, I know that this actually had occurred to me several times over that course of the relationship, and that was actually a short-duration relationship. I think him and I were together for, like, three months. Mm -hmm. Like three, I mean, it might have been four months. I'm not very good with time. I will admit that. Um, I had a conversation actually with a couple of people this weekend uh, when I was introducing people and I was like, how long did I date you or how long have we been together? Because for me, time, it's very subjective. Like I have a partner now that I've been with for two months and we got to know each other very well, really quickly. 
and there's still a lot to learn and we're going through the process of getting to know each other still. Sometimes you take on more than you can chew. And uh, I think that's what happened in this last relationship that we're speaking of, the one that um, they suffered complications to their mental and emotional health and chose um, some unhealthy behaviors to manipulate the situation. Um, Was there ever a point in time that you were... Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth or feelings. Um, you know, I, I can't say that this is how you feel, but was there ever a point in time in which you just couldn't bear to see that to continue that you may have felt that it was something that maybe you were, I, I don't want to make you feel guilty of this, but enabling me to continue to be in that relationship. To be honest with you, um, if I hadn't gone through similar abusive situation and come out of it, uh-huh. I wouldn't have been as much in tune to watching what was going on. But at the same time, I had to give you respect as a person, yeah. let you figure it out on your own. I couldn't be telling you as your mom, now you're supposed to do this and this because look how it's doing to you. Right. I think I was waiting for that wake-up call, though, Mom. I know I got really mad about um, some aftermath of the feelings I had about um, not being brought to my attention that some of these behaviors were emotionally abusive. And I don't want to say that I put the full burden on my loved ones, but in hindsight... I kind of needed someone to like shake me and be like, Lindsay, this is not healthy for you and your emotional health. No, and physically it was dragging you down. When it started showing on you physically, that's when the wake up call came because that gets in the way of your daily function, taking care of yourself, working a job, taking care of where you're living at your home. Yeah. It gets in the way of all of that. And when it gets to that point, it's very poisoned by that. I hadn't realized it had impacted me that much. And to be honest with you, um, this is new information to me that um, people could see, you know, physically that it was impacting me. But when I think about it, though, I carry a lot of stress in my shoulders where I had the whiplash injury. And there were a lot of days that I was in bed. That's true. I remember that now. It will affect you. That's the sad part to any kind of mental illness Mm -hmm. or any kind of trauma you're going through. Mm -hmm. Not only emotionally, but physically, it will affect you. Yes. I I remember uh, Tim and I talked about that on uh, the Technical Difficulties um, radio show that I co-host with him about how mental illness is also... A physical illness it can have physical symptoms it's very true yeah and I, I don't know if uh, there's a an overall acceptance of that in the medical field it's an interesting concern because as someone that's diagnosed with the mental illness I feel like sometimes doctors aren't as persuasive about some of the concerns I have if I went in with chest pains and shortness of breath, 
they would tell me I was having a panic attack because they saw in my record that I have anxiety disorder. Um, when I mentioned the pain in my back and um, the spasms I get, I get told that I'm probably just carrying a lot of stress, but you know, I have valid concerns and I should be taken with sincerity. Now, I don't think it's wrong that they consider that mental illness can project itself physically, but I want my provider to respect me and to also understand that although these may not be founded in rationality, in my head, those thoughts are real. Exactly. And it takes, it's just, um, when you hit a certain point with your provider, mm -hmm. there will be something that goes off like a light bulb. Like, well, I need to find another doctor to start over. Yeah. It, there's no shame in getting a second opinion. Not at all. Right. Yeah. I remember, um, with Jimmy's care, we had some doctors that would push pills. And medication is something, um, I remember you actually saying something not long ago, and I, I've heard it before too, of, you know, you believe that your doctor is doing what's in your best interest and that the side effects don't outweigh the benefits of taking the medication. Now, every person has a different chemistry when it comes to that. I, I found that actually out from Tim. Um, as, again, Tim is the host of the Technical Difficulty Show on um, 88.1. KPPPLPFM, um, and yeah, he he mentioned that there's like a, a test that they can run now, which I mean, science is remarkable. But there's a test they can run to see how your body's um, chemistry uh, will be affected by certain medications. So there's a lot of science out there that can help you. The one thing that everyone needs to understand is medicine is not an answer for everything. That's it true. is a blend of finding your support, someone you can rely on, someone you can trust. People talk to them about anything or nothing. Right. They'll be objective about it. And then your medicine is more or less a tool. It should not be doing all the work for you or the medicine. You'll just stop taking it. Oh, yeah. And um, as I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, recommendations for um, antidepressants, for example, there's severe effects that can happen if you just stop taking it because you feel better or because you think it's not working. And, you know, going back to the whole subject of positivity, because that's what I'm trying to project you know, on this um, conversation as well is I, I've heard um, and I'll have to do the research to get a more founded um, statistic for this, but I've heard that believing something's going to help you will make it more likely that it will benefit you, even if it's a placebo. Exactly. It's all in the chemistry. It's not all in your mind. Well, but your mind has a lot to do with it. If you are looking at it in a positive outlook, I feel. Well, you have better results when you feel like you are contributing to your care. It's not in someone else's hands because they don't know what goes on inside you or outside all the time. True. Yeah, being an advocate for yourself. And, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, before, if you don't agree with what your doctor has to say, asking for a second opinion. Or, you know, as I mentioned earlier also about how 
you know, if I have concerns for my health, being assertive and requesting that the test be run because a good doctor is going to provide you the care that you need. They might disagree with um, running certain tests. They may um, find it beneficial to you to do things a different way, but it's more about treating the um, patient, in this case, myself, um, with compassion and respect. Avoiding stereotypes. Yes. Um, even psychiatrists, I have run into several that mm -hmm. are very biased about blocking off depression and all your other chronic illnesses. Thank you very much for sharing this amazing conversation. It, it's um, evolved quite a bit from what um, I originally anticipated, but I really enjoy talking to you and sharing um, your perspective on this with um, our viewers because um, it's so hard sometimes for us um, as individuals with mental illness uh, to not only be open to hearing how other people un perceive our situations, but also um, to to take a step back, like you mentioned earlier. So I greatly appreciate you uh, doing this interview with me. Anytime.